We were called and are united by a common vision, which has now become a command that we cannot ignore. The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision. If you fail to choose, the world will end. was expecting the knock to be a little more prevalent in the plot. The knocking at the at the door was not really that important. I also wasn't sure which knock I should be right. focused on. <laughs> right. There were so many. Well, they could, there was no uh, definite article there. So it could have it could have really been any of the knocks. But again, it didn't seem like they were really deterred. The whole movie is a metaphor. It's a one big knock. The whole occurrence is a knock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just a knock at the cabin. <laughs> Um, <laughs> guys, you hear that? It's a, it's a, it's a knock. <laughs> guys, M Knight's at the door. Oh no! Did we let Uh-oh. him in? He's giving us fried chicken. <laughs> Get him out of here! <laughs> Do we let him back? Worst cameo? Oh no! That, that I was laughing pretty. Absolutely good. not. Okay. I, uh, that was a funny. He's cameo. had some bad cameos. What's his worst cameo? <laughs> that, Ooh. That, well, in I mean, old, old is fucking hilarious. That's more. That's a meta as fuck cameo. Yeah, old might be his best cameo. I would agree. Yeah, old. He's playing like himself. He's playing Basically. the architect of the film itself within the film. Wow, is this a good cameo though? I don't. It's not a. It's not his best cameo. I'll say that. But um, it, it's maybe his least obtrusive. Sure. Or maybe that's not true. It's his most distracting. Yeah. <laughs> Lady in the Water's got to be, maybe might be his worst. That one oh. almost tanks the movie. Yeah. Anytime he casts himself as like, yes, the, the God figure that is rearranging the pieces. He casts himself as the writer of the whole story. Right. That's tough. Because he is the writer of the story. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, him playing Momo in A Last Airbender was quite good. <laughs> Did he have a cameo on that one? I did he? No, now I'm trying to remember. I don't think I he don't did. Think so. Can I take the floor on this, on the overall opinion here? Okay. Yeah, Go. the, the floor is yours. M. Night's back. <laughs> and of course, by that, I mean he's back to being horrible. <laughs> Uh-oh. So he's out of the cabin. We're not letting him in. No, I'm not okay. letting his ass in. We're not letting him in. Oh, you see, he didn't like the movie. What are we doing here, guys? Oh, it's a, <laughs> what are we doing? That's a good question. We're okay. letting this guy well, I, <laughs> bring down our, our... He's lulling us into a false sense of security, and then he punches us in the fucking jaw. I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever felt secure in the presence yeah, of yeah. Mike Shyamalan or any of his movies. I certainly didn't feel that way with his last movie, although my thoughts on that, the last movie, did are far more complicated than this one. I will mm. say that. This is, I'm very clear-headed about how I feel about this movie. It uh-huh. felt like this guy was coming back. It felt like he got his, uh, his bearings. I so we're going to be all over that like the the spectrum on this one we have one super negative I, I'm sure we have one super positive <laughs> how are you how do you know and then we have one that's like kind of in the middle you don't 
don't know. You and I, we we went to the theater together. We saw this movie, and we did the rare thing because it was fucking five below zero yesterday. We didn't want to talk. It was <laughs> we cold. just parted ways. Mm-hmm. We watched the movie. We walked out of the theater. We said our goodbyes, and we went about our lives. For our own See, I like, to, I like to think that you guys didn't even say goodbye. You just kind of did. It was left. barely a goodbye. We kind of didn't actually. say goodbye. We, we actually didn't. We yeah. kind of just left. Basically, what happened was <laughs> Abby's like, you want to go to church tomorrow? And he's like, nah, bye. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good. In fact, I just got enough of a, of a sermon <laughs> in the latest M. Night Shyamalan film. <laughs> I think I kind of get the gist of the Bible yeah. now. No real need. It's pretty honest. Going to M. Night Shyamalan. It's basically church at mm. this point. It's not uh, that knock at the cabin. Okay. Can, let me start by this. Because I think I, I know where this is going. I know where this podcast is going. And I think I have a general sense of the kinds of criticisms that you're going to levy at this film. And I just want to stop you ahead of time and say, I don't fucking care that the dialogue sucks. I don't care that there's plot holes. I don't care that there's a weird third act. Like all of these things that we've been saying about M. Night Shyamalan for the last 20, 25 years, I, I get it. I know, and we are in agreement, but like I think I've I've come to a healthy place in my life where I accept M. Night for who he is. Mm. And I think, you know, four or five years ago, and I'm sure there's evidence of this on the podcast, I would have probably said that M. Night directing someone else's script would be the best way for him to sort of stage a comeback. I no longer feel that way. Mm. Like, I, I understand his shortcomings as a writer, but at the end of the day, like, I am in on the M. Night Shyamalan project as a whole, and I kind of just want to see him explore whatever he wants to explore, and I accept the shortcomings where they are. I think this movie does not work fundamentally for reasons separate and apart from M. Night Shyamalan's bad writing. Oh, I see. It's a bad story. I Well, yeah, I mean... Fundamentally, <laughs> it is not a good story for the big screen. No, 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 no. I agree with that. I, I think but, you might be right. I think you might be yeah, right. It's Even ditch- though like it is kind of a Twilight Zone premise. It's, 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 that's all I could think about the entire time was that it's just the no, Twilight Zone. No, I mean, Zone, it would have done better as a 20-minute episode. You sure, think? Okay. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It, it is It is an idea. It's a short film that's stretched for the entirety of a, a feature. And that is but, something that has been said about M. Night movies sure. since he started making movies. I, I, I'm not... I'm not viciously negative on this movie though i see there's a there's a lot of problems but like for i think but i guess i guess the best way to explain my feelings towards this movie versus like his last film is like i don't think old's a good movie but i think it's a very very entertaining movie no question so there is that yes this is a in my opinion a much better movie in every technically speaking basically every department just formally in terms of storytelling everything no everything about it's better from a technical standpoint from the way it's made to the storytelling to like the confidence of the voice Uh the performances oh my god the performances are so Mm -hmm. much we're gonna have a very long conversation about dave patista yes we will very long but (laughs) so yes but i i I would and i've been telling people have asked me like oh just see i was like yeah it's good yeah check it out but I, i i gotta admit i wasn't like terribly engaged by it me neither yeah. Me neither. This thing needed more old energy. <laughs> Some I, th- more th- weirdness? Yes, I think so. Like, I think this kind of story, and f- I don't want to jump around too much, but when we get into the spoilers, I'll, I'll, I'll go into more detail. But uh, I read a little bit of the book last night, and I read the whole synopsis of, of how the book ends. Mm. And the first half of this movie follows the book pretty religiously, no pun intended, um, and takes a wild turn in the third act. And this was M Knight's decision. M Knight got his hands on the script and said, "Let's let's rework this to make the ending more M Knight." And uh had he stuck with the book and had maintained more of its chaotic energy, mm. 
and had not, I don't know, completely contradicted the themes of the author, I think it's a better movie. Ah, but M. Night, for some reason here, and I, I, it's understandable because if you look at his movies in the past, particularly movies like Signs, which is heavily religious, um, he believes in good and evil. He believes in order. He believes in sort of a uh, a unifying theory of the universe in that humanity has to make sacrifices for one another. And uh, this movie is just too neat. It's just it's tied up in a bow and it's too fucking neat. <laughs> and old is not old is messy and it has a weird ending and there's weird shit going on with the camera and the performances are a little off kilter. But that to me is a better experience at the movie theater. And if that is not the definition of a good movie, I don't know what is. I don't know. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. Okay. I, I had a much better time at the theater than, than I did with old. Okay. It, just, just, just honestly, cinematically, like nothing in old works for me. I was, I was, and I hate to say it, dude, I know you hate this, but I was laughing at old the entire time. I was not laughing yeah, at it but, with the movie. It's a very, okay, it's a very right. ironic experience. I'm not, I'm never immersed in the experience, nor do I think any little thing works, but it's so fucking weird that it's just it's kind of fun to watch this train wreck and you know see it see I see it go like that's just a movie that doesn't work on any level I, for me but okay, it's so, I know we had this whole debate on the show a couple years ago I it's so funny I and, don't agree I, I guess you think that the the filmmaking choices were unintentional in that no I disagree with that I, I even said I think this there's one. a lot of tension intentionality and I think there's a, a lot of like formal prowess on display I don't well I don't I don't dock it for having an uh, having no intentionality because it certainly does but I don't give a movie I also don't give a movie points just for the fact that it does have intentionality it just just because you have intentionality that doesn't mean the execution ends up working in the end it certainly doesn't work for the case of old and in the case of something like knock at the cabin I was like okay no I, I think for the the construction here is pretty solid and robust and I think it gets its ideas across pretty nicely and I think it works as this little contained thriller mm-hmm. but like I said on the other side of the coin I it's just not quite as engaging to me for some reason it's not quite as you know I it's not quite as memorable so there is that I found this movie to have very little tension yeah it was not tense and this is an M. Night Shyamalan yeah. movie I mean like that is one of the things whatever you want to say about the guy the guy knows how to build tension he does and the guy okay maybe his most positive quality if you want to describe it this way is you are uniquely interested in where his plots go mm. from the moment the movie begins and that is not something that you say about a, a lot of his contemporaries, right? Like his movies are uniquely urgent. Um, they are uniquely plot driven and they are um, they, they're not they're not idle. You know, they don't just meander. Right. And so the entire time you are guessing, where is this movie going? What is the twist? Is there going to be a twist? <laughs> yeah. What is he trying to say? When is the rug going to get pulled out from under us? And this movie has none of that. This and and I do believe there's no twist, right? Like there's no twist, and I'm not even asking for a twist twist necessarily, because I, you know, I'm happy to have an M Night film that that you know stops trying to fool the audience or get ahead of them. Because I mean, I I don't know. It's been when's the last time like you were really compelled by a Shyamalan twist? Um, I don't know, like because I I I, split. I guess that's that's yeah, that's. eh. But that's the first thing Michaela asked me when I got home. She goes, "So what was the twist?" Ah, God. Right. First thing she asked me, you know what I mean? And by the way, that's kind of an overrated, I think, quality of M. Night's movies. There are not, I think, probably a minority of his movies have twists in them. I would agree, yeah. Right? The Happening doesn't have a twist. Signs doesn't really have a twist. Uh, 
the visit does and split kind of does major twist in avatar the way they pronounce their a's right yeah that's a big twist mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, like i said split split kind of does kind of does not really i mean it's it's only a, a tw- you know it's a post-credit post-credit twist. twist right uh and i guess uh does I, unbreakable sort of does unbreakable does glass doesn't yeah um the village does yeah and i'm not asking for a twist i i'm just asking for propulsion yep. i'm just asking for the movie to go somewhere and i don't know like it kind of feels like the prophecy is stated in the first 10 minutes of the movie yep. and they kind of follow the prophecy Comes and uh, the whole Sophie's choice element of this of like, who are they going to choose to sacrifice or are they going to choose any of them to sacrifice uh, is not really a choice by the end of the movie. It's kind of like you got to fucking do it. Like, what's the matter with you? The world is ending and it's unambiguous about the fact that the world is ending. And um, that I'll just say it is not in the book. They don't choose to kill anybody in the book. They let the apocalypse happen. And M. Night just changes it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I was wondering, like, okay, is it a better movie if they, they choose to let the world end? Because I think it's a more interesting movie. Mm. I guess you can uh, uh, debate the, 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 the moral question that it poses and whether or not you agree with it. But it's certainly more interesting. It's certainly more thought-provoking. I mean, you can – there's another movie that's very similar – in concept here, which is uh, the cabin in the woods. <laughs> what? Right. <laughs> oh, it ends the end. yeah, with yeah, the yeah. apocalypse. It Are you kidding me? It's a cabin in the I, woods. I, I totally and it ends forgot. with the apocalypse. I completely forgot about that. That's <laughs> I right. Guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's a better movie. No question. <laughs> right. It's a way better movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't even need it to end. Like, so okay. Um, do you want to explain the plot of this, and then we'll get into how it differs from the book? Because th- we need to establish this first and foremost. All right. So we open with. Uh, Dave Batista approaching a little girl who is collecting grasshoppers in a jar. And he says, uh, I'm here to be your friend. Um, he has cute little glasses on. <laughs> yep. And he is. Uh, okay. God, I want to talk about Batista so bad, dude. His performance. The whole conversation is Batista. <laughs> <laughs> this movie fundamentally is unwatchable if Dave Batista is not in this. Can I say 100%. that? Is that yes. fair to say? Unwatchable without Batista? He's amazing in this movie. He yes. manages to approach a little girl in the middle of the woods and befriend her in a way that doesn't actually really feel that creepy. It's not. No, not at all. It, yeah. It's like actually feels legitimately like he's he's just trying to bef- it's weird. Well, it makes sense too for his character. A character like It does. Know, as you know, it's revealed that he's a teacher needs to be able to talk to a kid in a believable way. God, I love what he says about being a teacher too. Anyways. Oh, it's a great. Yeah. I love so off track. Yeah. Um, and he basically says, I'm going to be your friend. And he says, look, um, my friends and I have to come into your cabin later. Your, your dads aren't going to want to let me in. She, she has uh, two gay dads, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to let us in. You guys have a very tough choice to make. She gets scared by all this, obviously. And runs inside, locks herself in the cabin, tells her dads, hey, there's some creepy people outside, they have weapons, and they knock at the cabin. And they force their way in, tie the men up, and start introducing themselves one by one, and then explain, look, we're not here to hurt you, uh, but the three of you have to decide to kill one of you, and then do the killing. You can't kill yourself. Um, and if you don't, the apocalypse will happen. That's right. And then they give this prophetic vision. First, there will be like uh, the waters will 
rise up and bury the earth and uh, then there will be a plague then the sky will fall like glass and uh, fire or something like that and then the and then the world will go dark and that's all right. of humanity will suffer that's some right. shit like that yep. that's right yep. and uh, obviously they go you're fucking psychopaths <laughs> yes because obviously they're fucking psychopaths mm-hmm. yes they basically refuse to pick somebody to kill and so the four uh, people uh, one of them puts on a mask uh, Rupert what's his name uh, Rupert Grint Rupert Grint Rupert Ron, Grint Ron Weasley Ron Weasley <laughs> Ron Weasley himself puts on a mask that's yes. right yeah, puts on a white mask and they kill him. Yep. With and they one of say their humanity has Yep, with their weapons. Humanity has been judged. And then they turn on the TV and the first plague begins. Um earthquakes and tsunamis begin hitting Seattle. <laughs> well, no, actually that is not what happens. What happens is that QVC pops on and M. Night Shyamalan is selling an air fryer. <laughs> yes. That is that is what happens when the TV first which, si- first sign of the apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which you can argue like some biblical scholars actually interpret that as being one of the early signs of the apocalypse <laughs> of end times. Yes. 100% the rapture is right around the corner. Uh yeah. Right. The TV stuff is, I think... Horrible. The worst shit I've ever seen. Yes, it is... Okay, so the movie I actually thought of when I was watching it the most was Signs. I think, like, coming into it, we expected this to kind of be a corrective of The Happening, just because it's a disaster end of times kind of movie. I mean, it's better than The Happening, and that's... I still think there's something <laughs> but, to be said about that. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up, because... Strangely, this movie is technically better than The Happening, and yet it's still... It is uh, less valuable to society. <laughs> well, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think the legacy of this movie will be far lesser than anything that the happening, everything that the happenings. Done, the happening frankly. has done it's, more for society as a whole. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially the bumblebees. Right. <laughs> Save the bees. Some of those fucking bees, dude. If even one bee was saved because of the happening. Exactly. It was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the TV stuff, I thought about science because it's not really, it doesn't play as much like a play as this one does, but it's confined. There's uh, something happening outside of the home and it might be supernatural. It might not be. And a lot of information is gained through news broadcasts yep. in signs. And there's one particular scene. Uh, and a lot of people consider it the best scene in the movie when Joaquin Phoenix is in the closet uh, watching the yep. news broadcast and they see the alien at the, I think it's a birthday party it in is, Mexico yeah. or something. Uh, and uh, Far Cry. Far Cry from the news broadcasts in this movie, which are uh, just incredibly forced. As you know, it's one of my pet peeves in movies. Anytime exposition is being told through TV, through TV, but also like, you know, the news broadcast does not operate like an actual news broadcast. So no. they're flipping through <laughs> correspondence. Yeah. It, you know, within 10 seconds, they're, they're going to new correspondence and information uh, progresses. It, it, it seems like, you know, the floods have uh, have happened and the uh, iPhone footage has returned to the, uh, the the studios within 30 seconds. And somehow, like, how do you have access to this footage taken on the beach and whatever? Also, the fact that we're seeing four apocalyptic level events in news broadcasts uh, in the course of an hour 40 movie, it just really takes you out. And and the whole movie takes place within, what, two days, maybe? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's it's I think. Yeah, only two two days. Yeah. Um, I also think in general, too, television and technology has become a little too digital. And 
watching a sort of janky uh, camcorder shot of an alien in signs, there's just something a little more unknowable about that. Mm. Whereas when you watch it in HD on a plasma screen TV in between episodes of Bluey or whatever the hell the girl is watching, like like that to me, it just it just landed totally flat. And I I, I in the book, I, I think that is the main uh, delivery system of all of this news. I wish M. Night had figured out other ways to communicate that things are happening other than we turn on the TV and there's another tragedy, you know, could there have been a radio broadcast? Could there have been something in the skies that they saw outside the the window? It does happen. But in like the last act, right? It's like too little too late when you finally start to see the real signs of it. There's not much ambiguity in this movie. Either. No, there's not. I, that was the other thing. It's like, well, the, like it, it's. I think the the most compelling idea in this movie is: are they crazy, or is this actually gonna happen? And it's barely explored. It's not. Yeah, I gotta yeah. be honest. I was like, no, seems like it's it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. There, there was some again. There's also something about the vibe of the movie that was indicating that it was gonna happen, and there weren't enough things that that made me question the bad guys. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> the movie seems to believe them. I can offer a couple of fixes, all right, sure. or just changes that I think would have made this better. The script doctor, Nick Evangelista, oh boy, here he is, coming in. Old Nicky Hollywood, the Hollywood fixer. Yeah. One, I think that if this movie, rather than taking place over two days, took place over maybe several months even where they're trapped in the cabin. Ah. A lot more compelling. The news footage doesn't feel as forced or shoved in there. It feels like these things are happening over time, and you can still build tension as... Are these people are these is this news we're seeing even real or is it being orchestrated by these people? Yeah, mm. it still builds that tension. Mm-hmm. There's a version of this movie where they escape <laughs> and they're just trying to escape. They're trying to run away. And these apocalyptic things are happening around them. And then they're beginning to question themselves. Should we go back to the cabin mm. and finish this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The entire that's- time uh, is Andrew the name of the, the one dad that's skeptical. Daddy Andrew and Daddy Eric. 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 Okay, and Jonathan Groff is Eric, and uh, it's Ben Aldridge plays Andrew, I think. But Mm -hmm. uh, he expresses skepticism, obviously, uh, when he finds out that uh, Rupert Grint's character uh, assaulted him in Boston many years back for homophobic reasons. Um, And, uh, you know, because television is the only means of getting information, I think he rightly assumes. And credit to M. Night for going through all of this, by the way, in the script. Like, he addresses all of the plot holes that we would be yelling at the screen. You know, like, he, oh, maybe it's closed circuit TV. Maybe they knew that this broadcast was coming ahead of time. Uh, you know, maybe they rehearsed every line. Like, uh, and then he also posits, like, homophobic guy in Boston uh, recruits a bunch of, like, incels on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he goes through all of that. Right. And he a, covers all his bases. Is this a problem with with modern audiences, though? Because I, I kind of long for the days where we could just sort of suspend our disbelief. Yes. And I understand, like, some of these plot holes are quite insane. But even then, like, there's a bit of me that wishes that, you know, we could just say, like, we who cares, guys? Just well, watch, this movie just, in particular, just watch though, the movie, it, you know, well, it, but by him addressing those plot holes is what makes you have to care about them well that's what kind of what i'm talking about like there's a little i mean i don't know if it would work but there's a little me little bit of me that's like just let it play just just please just let it play <laughs> yeah it, but it's a it's a movie where andrew has to play us essentially that's know, the thing is that he has to express the same skepticism that we're viewing so like yeah. he has to be kind of 
he has to cover all his bases sure. in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you, but point being is you understand where he's coming from. Yeah. And you also understand where Batista's coming from because it seems like, you know, they're not going to harm any of the people in the cabin. <laughs> Like, like that. I think just like fundamentally, the conceit doesn't work because. Well, well, it's not. That's another thing that's not very tense. I'm not really worried about the safety of the good guys all that much because I know that the bad guys they're not going to do anything really. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to hurt them. They've expressed that. Yeah. If they were there for like a month too, imagine if like you know somebody comes looking for Eric and Adam, and then right. they have to kill this person. Yes. There you go. Right. Sure. Right. Like way more interesting there. Again, back to them escaping and having. Like uh, all the apocalyptic events happen around them. That's way more interesting than them just sitting in a cabin watching it on the news. Now would probably be a good time to bring up some of the stuff in the book because uh-huh. there is a scene in, I believe, uh, I, I think it's when the second visitor is being killed and they, they do it in a weird order. Batista's character, I think is killed third in the book, but, uh, as that killing is happening, Andrew manages to escape. He gets the gun out of the car. Mm-hmm. He returns to the house. A struggle breaks out between Batista and Andrew. The gun accidentally goes off, and Wen gets killed. That is a massive, massive change. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> a massive change that Shyamalan makes. Wen gets killed. Batista... Heartbroken over this. Uh, uh, Leonard is the name of the character. It's not Batista in the book. Uh, Leonard is heartbroken over this. Uh, he's obviously apologetic. He he allows Andrew and Eric to tie him up because uh, he feels a sense of guilt. But he says, hey, guys, sorry. Uh, that wasn't a willing sacrifice. That was an accident. You still have to kill one of yourselves. And uh, so first of all, there's your sense of stakes. That is lacking in this. Mm-hmm. There's the consequence. There's the messiness that's not really addressed in the Shyamalan movie. Uh, but of course, Shyamalan's not going to kill his kids. Shyamalan doesn't kill kids. Um, Maybe he should. He's not dark enough to go there. Like, it's so weird because he's made some really dark stories. But even then, you're like, yeah, he's not. He would never do that. Yeah, they talk to dead people, but they don't become dead people. No. In his movies. Um, <sighs> I thought the mom in that does kill a kid, doesn't she? She kills her own kid. I guess that's true. <laughs> Poisons her. <laughs> it's this unwillingness. There's a line. He's a softy. Yeah. He's, he's a fucking softy. I understand. But you can't be a softy and try to make like these tense horror films. Like <laughs> he definitely wants to be both. That was my that was another big issue I had with old is that like this this idea is fucked up. But God, is it so goofy here to me anyway? No, uh, but it but it isn't soft, though. It's not sentimental. Yes, it is. It is. You think yeah, old that, is sentimental? Yeah, I think it is. That brother sister relationship is pretty fucking. And the the mom in that, yeah. Okay. It's very flowery. It, not, I mean, they're not flowery, but like even the presentation makes me think it's kind of warm and nice. And they fly away on the helicopter in the end. <laughs> yeah, having aged forty years yeah, they, in two days. Yeah, they give they give a joke like, well, I forgot what that stupid joke was. <laughs> How how would you like to wake up and turn 40 or whatever the hell he says? <laughs> I think about it every day. <laughs> um, Shut the hell up. <laughs> uh, so Wen dies and the two of them, the, the, the married couple at the center of this movie, decide by the end of it, well, we let our daughter die. Uh, if that ain't a good enough sacrifice for their God, we're not going to we're not going to go any further. Fuck the world. 
if that is not good enough for God, that's not good enough for the world, then fuck it. We're just going to stick together and live out our lives alone on a desolate planet. And so they let the apocalypse happen. Oh. I mean, like to say it's different from the movie, <laughs> it's like it is fundamentally antithetical. It is the complete opposite. <laughs> and so fair, fine. If Shyamalan wants to do that, like be true to yourself. I, again, like that, that, that has been my position the last few years with Shyamalan. Like I am all in for the resurgence. I'm all in for the, the Shyamalan assance. Um, but the idea is not as good. It, well, the movie's not going to work because yeah. like that right. that that finale is built into the premise of the novel. Mm-hmm. You know? I was also really interested while I was watching it. I kept thinking about this this concept of how how much you love each other and how many lives you're willing to measure that love in. Mm. Yeah. Like is an interesting concept. Well, I kept hoping it would go in that direction, but the 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 ending message is pretty bare and simple it's just like you know you're sometimes you're gonna have to make sacrifices but it's okay mm-hmm. you know just because you have to make sacrifices that doesn't mean you can't still go on living like mm-hmm. okay right the worst line in that movie is and and this is probably the line that m night was like most proud of is that woman in the diner and she's watching the news and she goes it's gonna be okay <laughs> i'm just like fuck off that diner seems horrible it's but that's that diner scene is so M Night of like it is. we have to there's that's the thing about M Night too there's not a lot of ambiguity in his movies no no like there really. are twists like you know th- there is surprise but th- there's there's never that question of is this a dream or is this actually what the character meant when he said that no it's like they saved the world and just to prove it to you we're gonna go to a diner on the side of a highway in rural Pennsylvania w- with a hundred people in it all watching the news being like oh my god. People just stopped dying of the plague. I guess it's better now. The plague was cured. The plane stopped falling out of the sky and the water went back in the ocean where it belongs. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I guess we're going to be OK after all. You know, I, well, coming out of this, too, I was uh, with Abby and she was like, I mean, OK, but what was the point of that? Mm. And I kind of agree. I was like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it was a fine little contained thing, but like. I don't know what I was supposed to take away from that, especially since everything was all good, bro, in the end. Right. I, I don't know. So Shyamalan, his his line, I, I read this in one of his interviews, was like, um, you can't advertise a choice. You can't promise a choice at the beginning of the book and then not follow through on the choice. And particularly in movies, like maybe that is something that can work on the page. But, but that's fundamentally wrong because they are making a choice they're making a choice to say fuck your choice yes right yes in the book he didn't view it that way that's incorrect what an idiot <laughs> well that's Shyamalan that's a really <laughs> that's that's Shyamalan stupid so he's like listen you can't put Sophie's choice on the poster and then not make have Sophie make a choice I mean and <sighs> so he changed that but what ends up happening is the choice I would argue the choice made in the in the movie is less of a choice than the choice made in the book Right. Because Absolutely. It is. is painfully obvious by the end of the movie what they have to do. Yep. And of course you would make the decision to kill your husband. Of course you would. I think anyone would make that decision because it is provided with I mean very little ambiguity. There is no question. In fact, it's it's almost I think the worst part about it is that the choices that those two men make throughout the entire movie are so perfectly in line with what any logical person would do. Yes. It makes their choices not interesting. Right. Right. Because of course you're going to say no the first time. 
Of course, you're going to say no the second time. Of course, you're going to say no the third time. And of course, you're going to do it by the fourth time because right. that's the the moment where it is finally becomes so painfully obvious. Before then, it is ambiguous. As Red Letter Media has said before, it's like nothing happens and you know what is going to happen. <laughs> and then, <laughs> when, when nothing's happening to begin with and the only like one or two things that have to happen in order for the movie to end are presented to you, it's like, all right, it's either this thing or it's that thing. Well, listen, when you're a guy know. like Shyamalan, yeah. when you're a, particularly a science fiction genre storyteller like yeah. Shyamalan, you have two options at your disposal, right? Like you can either make the plot do something unexpected or you can make the characters do something unexpected either you you make uh you know your characters uh, make an impossible decision or you put uh, circumstances in their way that surprise you or you make the uh the plot pretty conventional and you let the characters surprise you in the decisions that they make and he as you said nick he does he does neither you know uh he establishes what's going to happen in the movie in the first 10 minutes it happens and the characters all behave appropriately you know, and there's a couple hiccups, but no real consequences. But besides the death of these four people that I don't really care about, except for one guy, mm-hmm. the biggest decision made that I was like, what the fuck are you doing is when he got the gun and he didn't just immediately start shooting all of these home invaders. There's no any sane person at this point would have just shot Leonard in the head, yes. shot the woman. There's no world in which you aren't just killing them on site. Okay, but here there there's a slightly more interesting thing that you can do with it and actually like like branch out a bit because you because I, I kept thinking like okay I'm shooting Leonard instantly I go in and, and he's right. just he's just dead and then they they get the chance to escape and wander and then the apocalypse starts happening in front of right. them and you can actually build on that and then you can tease the idea of whether or not they actually want to kill one another by that well point. I think they they both have that sense of doubt. Yeah, I mean, sure. one has more of it than the other, but I think they both kind of have in the back of their heads a oh, wait a minute, what if they are right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the book plays around with this idea of like, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. This book was written in 2018. I don't think it's a coincidence that these people met on a message board. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of them is a sort of blue collar um would you describe him as right wing? Sure. I, Rupert Grant, I, maybe, right? Like, I think this is very much, at least in the book, about the idea of QAnon and the idea of misinformation and the and uh, the sort of intoxicating feeling that conspiracy theories can give you. And how even to the skeptical people on the other side of it who are uh, effective neg- affected negatively by it, even they kind of feel this allure. Right. Uh, And the movie doesn't play around with that at all because it never makes you question whether or not what's happening is actually happening. There is some again with the Rupert Grint character being the homophobic assailant. There is some of that earlier on of, okay, this might be a bunch of bigots just picking on the queer couple or whatever. Um, But they really don't go far enough with that. I think I think they needed more time in the cabin together. All the subtext is just stripped of it. Like this ending, it frustrates the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. It really does. It really does. I also found the spelling out of something that I obviously like any sane viewer would have figured out an hour ago. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. They're the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse was like really unnecessary. Yeah, I thought that too. So I'm no biblical, I'm no biblical scholar here, but I wrote down the Four Horsemen according to M. Night Shyamalan. And here's the thing about M. Night. Uh, 
he often describes himself as the, uh, the only Hindu in his Catholic high school. <laughs> so uh, he was not raised Catholic, but was surrounded by Catholics mm. growing up in Philadelphia. And so a lot of his movies are about particularly the Christian faith from an outsider's point of view. Signs is definitely about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, his his first big studio movie with Rosie O'Donnell, Wide Awake, is about that. Uh, Praying with Anger, his student film, is to a certain extent, is about that. There's some of that in Sixth Sense, frankly. Just yes. a whole lot conceit of that movie, the premise. He has this very surface-level understanding of Catholicism and Christianity, but like, I don't think is inherently a very spiritual person. I just don't get that sense from him as a filmmaker. He's very, he's definitely fascinated by it. He's curious about it in the way that a child would be. Yes. Yeah. But he's fascinated by it from an outsider's point of view, whereas like Martin Scorsese yeah. had like a deep Catholic upbringing. And <laughs> like that's baked into the very DNA of almost every single of Scorsese every single film, movie that he whether does. he wants to or not. And he's reckoning with yeah, that sense yeah, of guilt or exactly. whatever through his entire career, where I think is, yeah, Shyamalan sort of views it in the same way. He, he's curious about it the way that he's curious about his plots. You know, he's the way he's curious about superheroes or he's curious about natural disasters or, you know, he's curious about uh, split personalities or whatever. Like and I think he kind of applies a scientific, you know, methodological approach to to these issues of faith. So he looks at the book of Exodus and he takes it literally, you know, he uh, and he and he says, all right, let's put this into the movie just to see how it works as a Hollywood exercise, as a storytelling exercise, rather than let's dig into whatever the hell God meant when he unleashed a plague on humanity. You know, let's let's dig into the sacrifice of Abraham, sacrificing his son Isaac. You know, let's what does that actually mean? Practically, he views it as Hollywood magic in this movie. <laughs> he he doesn't view it as like, holy shit, a the action of a complicated and oftentimes vengeful God, mm-hmm. which is how Scorsese would view it. And how he did view it in like, you know, uh, Passion, uh, Last Temptation of Christ or or uh, Silence or whatever. Um, so he describes the Four Horsemen as malice, nurturing, healing and guidance. Nick, who are the Four Horsemen? All right, let's look it up. You guys have been to church. <laughs> four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Death, famine, war and conquest. There you uh, go. <laughs> so not malice, nurturing, healing and guidance. Malice, nurture. I'm trying to think. Well, my, my question is how do these, like, can they translate into those? Because my, my feeling was like malice kind of translates into like like famine, death, sort of, I guess. That was my feeling. But did they make any sense? No. I guess not. It's just four guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only things I'm finding on Google with four horsemen, malice, nurturing, et cetera, are things about knock at the cabin. So. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Yeah. There, there um, we go. Still, he he does view them as sort of um, they are the these four horsemen are bringing death, famine, etc. Like he does kind of go that way. Hmm. I think he picked the opposite <laughs> of the four horsemen and named them that. Right. It's kind of like if if you were like naming the dwarves and you named them like Smart Alec, uh, <laughs> smart, nice, non hypoallergenic, healthy, <laughs> full of energy, friendly, <laughs> friendly, kind of like me. Yeah, right. What are who are the seven dwarves? Nurse, 
I actually don't know that answer. <laughs> nurse? Give me a fucking laugh, all right? Give me a fucking laugh on that line. Nurse. I'm trying to... Th- who are the seven dwarfs? I can't... Uh, sneezy, dopey, Snoopy, I don't know. Bashful? Is that in it? <laughs> Snoopy? Uh, Doc was do- oh, the first joke. Yeah, yeah. That was that one, but... Oh, I was like, who, who are they? It's all right. We can just gloss over that. Yeah, so no, what do you think of like the religious elements? Were you were you moved by his sort of remixing of these biblical stories or was not saying anything with them? Right. I don't know. He's using he, he's using them for plot machinations, not really um, examining them. Mm. You know, it's really not it's not that <laughs> I would say mothers maybe even deeper if you can believe that. <laughs> if you can believe that shit. <laughs> well, Aronofsky I think is I I think is more um genuinely interested. In, yes. in these themes yeah. like he is clearly like a spiritual and religious guy yes you know yes. I, yeah, he can you can tell he's contended with that before right whereas, whereas Shyamalan it's like oh this is cool he's, he's never playing played with his before, toys but he think right yeah, it's yeah. a toy for him that's right. and that that's the problem it's just it's very uh yeah childish I don't know how, how else to explain it because I was like I'm I keep going back to this with this movie it's like I just I think you can watch it and turn your brain off <laughs> and that's fine. I just took nothing away from it. I took, I, I took very, very little experience away from it. Usually I go into a movie and like, I had some kind of experience and I'm just like, yeah, this was, it just was what it was. Can I compliment it? I, I, I mean, there's plenty to compliment. I think technically there's a lot of other things that are nitpicky issues, but right. The movie could still be good with those. Even with the shitty news broadcasts, the movie could still be good. I And I come yeah. to expect that out of a Shyamalan sure, movie. That sure, was the sure. thing with old. And l- listen, since his his whole revitalization, like, I, I've said this to you guys. Like, I'm rooting for the guy. Like, he, after After Earth, which was, by the way, one of the movies that he did not write. I mm-hmm. think the only movie that he ever directed that he didn't write. Um... I think he did some serious reflection and that is not something you see in a lot of auteurs of his profile. Like, you know, when Nicholas winning Refn makes a bomb or whatever, like his default mode is like, you guys just don't get it, you know? And that was not (laughs) Shyamalan's approach here. Like Shyamalan approached it with humility. He was like, yeah, I kind of got lazy, you know, in my later years, like I made a bunch of hit movies in my twenties. I was deemed the next Spielberg at an incredibly young age uh, it was an unfair expectation. I grew up with a giant fucking ego. I coasted by and and made movies that I wasn't particularly passionate about. And he he made a practical decision for himself and said, listen, from now on, I'm financing all my movies myself. I'm going to mortgage my house in order to make the visit. I'm going to mortgage my house in order to make split. He was on uh, Norm MacDonald uh, did the uh, his podcast on Netflix for like a year. Mm. He had Shyamalan on. As one of his guests. And he was like, you know, when you're a kid, there's this excitement that is not necessarily married with technical precision. And then as you get older, your technical precision keeps growing, but your energy and your excitement for what you're doing stops. And he was looking for a way to marry those two things again. And he said, I have to I had I had to put myself in a sense of danger. I had to put myself in this position where I could fail and I could lose. You know, and if the movie wasn't good, my livelihood w- would sink or swim based on it. And uh, I don't know. I think that's fucking awesome. It's cool. I think that's cool. I think he's a really thoughtful guy, and I think he really cares about what he does, and I think he really cares about like the relationship he has with his audience. And uh, again, like coming into this movie, I I wanted him to succeed at this. You're judging the story of Shyamalan, though. That's, I am. That's different. I am. I'm, I'm ju- looking at the story of Shyamalan. I think yeah. beyond the story of this movie. Yeah. Or any of these individual movies. Yeah. I, th- I think that 
he needs to start taking out an extra 50% of his planned budget, though, to plan for reshooting half the movie. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. It's just not because a, yeah, I think, fundamentally he needs to he needs to make these movies, show it to people and they go, hey, this kind of sucks. I don't want that either, though. I don't I, <laughs> I want I want unbridled Shyamalan. I do. I think he's capable of greatness. Well, he's like, proved that he's capable. The guy is cri- capable of transcendent filmmaking. Yes. I'm not going to mess with the chemistry there. I'm not going to mess with it. But there is a fundamental difference in, in a lot of ways from, in, in, well, I don't know what it is, but like the, the I don't know, the, the, the vibe and the feel and the experience of The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, it's just not this mm-hmm. at all. Something happened. Something, yeah. something happened. And, and it, to me, it was more than just, oh, I need to feel in danger. I think, it, so I forgot who said it, but someone said like, the, the guy's technical precision is spot on. And that's something you can't deny this movie. It looks fucking great. It's impeccably mm-hmm. shot. It is a gorgeous looking movie. Yes. The music is phenomenal. It's really good. I love the music. It's really the perform- good. Now, they criticize the, the dialogue all you want, but these are pretty solid performances. Yes. Batista especially, who, yeah, but best, best. WWE wrestler turned actor period it's not even close it's not even even a contest let's talk about Batista yes he's perfectly cast he's really well cast he I'm glad they decided to save him for last even if the book didn't Mm -hmm. because that was the right choice he's the heart of this movie absolutely he absolutely is Um, he truly cares about when the little girl and he truly hates what he has to do And I actually even thought this wasn't in the script anywhere. There's nothing that really implied this. But my thought process was the reason that the four of these people chose him to go last is because they knew he had the heart enough to be able to kill himself at the end. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was a thought that went through my head was like he was the only one who truly had the the heart and love for the humanity to do what had to be done at the end because the rest of them had somebody to kill them for them well visually too i mean i mean he wasn't he wasn't nearly as scared too i mean i mean when you think of the visual that everybody else was scared he he hated what he had to do but yes he was not scared like he didn't have to put the bag over his head for example he could just do it Mm -hmm. you know and the last girl you know probably would have done the same thing had you know she not been shot in the stomach Mm. so yeah it it made perfect sense to me it would have been very bizarre I'm if if he had gone second to last, honestly, yeah, I would have been disappointed. Oh my god, I would have been so disappointed. Yes, I was disappointed at the end. I'm like, oh, this this last three minutes is not going to have Batista in it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He uh, he fills the screen. I mean, he fills the frame literally and figuratively. I mean, literally <laughs> and, and figuratively. God, you forget how fucking huge he is. He's a hulking man. When yes. he's next to all of these uh, Marvel characters, it it's kind of distract. The Marvel of it all is kind of distracting. Yes. When you just see him standing in a room next to a little girl it is just holy shit i want to talk about just for a second just the integrity of this guy and 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 just how much he cares about um use using the, the the projects that he makes as 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 just a pure expression like pure artistry he cares about the art of acting and the art of putting in a good performance he has worked with uh, James Gunn. Mm-hmm. He's also worked with. I mean, say what you want about Spectre, but it's cool for him to be like, I want to work with Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to work with Denis Villeneuve mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I want to work with Ryan Johnson. Want to work with Ryan Johnson? I wanna, yeah, I want to work with M Night. Yeah, M Night. Yeah, exact. Precise. It's and I get I, you know, of course, you, naturally you have to go to the Rock with that, but like Rock doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. No, absolutely not. Uh, he, the Rock is not as vulnerable. No, as no, 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 God, no. Hundred percent. 
you know, and and you might even say that Batista is more physically imposing than The Rock is. Like, who yeah. would you rather run into in an alleyway behind a bar? Ooh. I th- I think I'd like The Rock would not scare me as much with that smiling face and the I eyebrow. Think the Rock in his prime was all was bigger. Probably. Yeah, I'm not not even size though. Like, who will fuck you up more? Yeah, Batista's a scary dude, man. Batista's yeah, he's, he's a scary looking man. I mean, like he he has that scowl. Like he is. But he's he, intimidating. But the but the key here is like the heart of this guy, as opposed to something like The Rock, who is just a soulless husk at this point. It is amazing how he's been able to subvert his wrestling persona, and like that's, that's, that was Drax. I mean, I that was the whole Guardians performance, and I, I think low key that's why those movies work so well. Yeah. I think he is the secret sauce in both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how he's able to sort of play around with your expectations of what a character like this is supposed to be. Exactly. And also, by the way, d- deliver some lines and actually sure. like be able to deliver a punchline in a movie that needs you to be able to deliver a punchline. Yeah, My favorite line by far in this whole movie was when he was. Um, well, first off, his delivery throughout the entire movie leads up to this line fundamentally. And he says, my favorite part about teaching is that every word you say to a child has to be exact because they will take everything you say. They'll believe you, right? It's a great. They'll believe you. He said that's what he said. They'll always believe you. Great point of view. And so I've learned to only say what I know to be true. Yes. And then if you watch this movie a second time, which I didn't, but if you did, um, (laughs) you would watch when he begins speaking to when at the very start of the film, he takes that line and that is fundamentally what drives his performance the whole movie. Right. He doesn't really lie to her in that first conversation with the grasshoppers. He doesn't really lie to her. You know, he withholds some information for her because he doesn't want to hurt her. Doesn't want to scare her. Doesn't want to scare her, but he doesn't lie. He's honest. These are my friends. These are my colleagues. We're here to make a decision or ask you to make a decision, you know? Yeah. But it's not just about manipulating words to technically not lie. It's like the fundamental thoughtfulness in every word that he delivers. Considered. Yes. 100%. That's that's what I think is really it's. He's the hero of the movie. Let's let's just be honest. Right. Whereas you you look, it's not even fair to the rock and him are like in two different, like it's like comparing like Daniel Day Lewis to Pauly Shore. Like like they're not even in the same stratosphere, but like everything the rock says, it's like, you don't believe it. It's cast off. It's just, by the way, not in a good way. Like Aubrey Plaza. You totally. I, I told you guys I was at the gym the other day and black Adam was on. You watched black Adam. I watched the last, third of black adam I, well i it was weird i felt like i was missing something because i i like came in after i think a third act twist and i so i didn't really whatever did the hierarchy of power in the gym change uh yeah i actually kind of felt like i was on a lower level oh god it kind of felt i could feel the treadmill kind of descending because the hierarchy <laughs> of power had shifted so much what'd you think of black adam that's not good it's quite bad <laughs> dude it's crazy like how long they kept going with the whole Snyder thing. Cause mm-hmm. it is so Zack Snyder, like really? to the slow-mo to the like lightning bolts coming out of fingertips. Zack Snyder is the worst thing that's happened to film. It's he, amazing he to is... me that they kept going with that vibe long <sighs> after they fired Zack Snyder. They kept making movies in his image and yeah, it was very bizarre. That's the problem with that legacy and why I might actually agree with you, Nick. Cause I didn't, I, I probably would have said Michael Bay's pretty low on that pull, but they man, they've taken way more from Zack Snyder, especially Michael the last Bay's decade. his own thing, and nobody else really. I don't know, man. I've always hated Zack Snyder. 
Yeah, so DC He's has terrible. I, I guess that to, was the last one. They need to get the fuck away from that. Now. And I think they are. It like seems now. like that's what James Gunn is trying to do now, and is trying to be a little lighter on its feet or whatever. But I am surprised. I think the DC. Really quick, we'll get into this. I think the DC TV shows on HBO Max are much better than any of the DC films. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, James Gunn did Peacemaker, right? Yeah, which is hilarious. Yeah, actually. Yeah, Black Adam's weird. Here's the other weird thing. Why do all these superheroes have to have superhero friends? Oh. Why can't there be one superhero with no super friends? You want Spider-Man again? Yeah, he's got like five fucking super friends. Really? Yeah. I don't know like if they're gods from some fictional ancient civilization. I don't know. Again, I jumped in late. But there's like five fucking superheroes at the end. (laughs) And Black Adam's like barely involved in the fighting. It's very weird. Why is every movie the Avengers now? They all got to have friends. Pierce Brosnan's one of those dudes. He is. He's one of the friends. Oh, no. How was he? Um, I don't know. It's not good. But <laughs> you hate Pierce Brosnan. I do. I'm not a... So much. It's so funny. To I just me. don't know why all these superheroes got to have friends. Uh, I don't know. Why can't they just be loners? It's more interesting to be loners, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Um, what were we talking about? Batista. Oh, yeah. Batista. How great Dave Batista is, yeah. He's so good. So Batista's great. Shyamalan saw him in Blade Runner. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Wow. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know about his wrestling career. <laughs> Didn't know. What? Didn't know. <laughs> How is that possible? But he's How reading, is that possible? He's reading this, this book and it's like, <laughs> and he's actually younger in the novel. He's like 24 in the novel. So they have to age him up. But think about this casting call, right? Like, I need a giant hulking man that was a gym teacher that uh, will be physically intimidating but can also read a monologue, read multiple monologues, and provide the emotional center of the the movie. Uh Who in the world can fit that description? Well, funny enough, that's kind of what he does in Blade Runner. Right. In that opening. Exactly. He also wears little glasses. Yeah, that's right. He does wear glasses. He wears tiny little glasses (laughs) and it's really cute. So cute in a space. Is there anyone else who's been able to pull that off? Name like, another person. It's impossible. Yeah, I don't know. And, and you have to buy the fact that he is one of the horsemen of the apocalypse, and you need to believe him every time he talks about the prophecy that came to him in a dream. And you do. And you do. You do. He's amazing in this movie. Yes. He's so warm. He's so tender. Um, and he's got those little glasses. <laughs> you find them cute. It sounds they like. are. They're cute glasses. Blade Runner, they're fucking adorable. Oh, my God. They're, those are old man glasses, though. Yeah, they're point. so tiny. That was my favorite performance by him, funny enough, but this is fu- this performance is fucking good. Yes. It's really good. Let's talk about the shots. Okay. I think there's some good shots in this movie. I think they're mostly good shots. In this. Mostly pretty good shots. Yeah. He does some innovative shit with the camera. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there are fights with weapons and clubs and... And uh, spears being, uh, you know, thrown around. And the camera seemingly is in the point of view. of Like in, in one shot, uh, uh, Rupert Grint is punched by Andrew. Mm-hmm. And you're in the point of view of the fist. You see him getting punched. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Sam Raimi thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a great shot when the knock first happens. And uh, Jonathan Groff goes to the doorknob. Oh, and it's from and the, it's from the point of view of the doorknob, yeah. and he's constantly playing around with 
the perspective there and is is moving the camera, was, flipping it over upside I was, down. I was pissed when I saw the door not shut because I'm doing the short film I'm doing right now. I have a shot very similar to that. I'm like, you fucker. He stole your bit. He stole my bit. That's right. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I was very mad. It doesn't happen that way, but I was still pissed off. No, my favorite shot is actually at towards the end when um you have like the the not really a two shot, but the the two husbands are framed in the side of the frame, and Dave Bautista sitting down in the chair, and it does that slow push in as he's doing his monologue, which is a very common thing, and I think it's going to end with like a medium on him, and his head starts getting cut off, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. yes, where's, where's yeah, it going? Zooming in on the knife, and it right? la- yeah, it just lands and sits on the knife, just as as he's slowly coming closer and closer to that moment where he finally kills himself. That was that was a very superb way to. Uh, keep his neck out of the frame for him to slit his own throat. Yes, yeah, <laughs> because that's ultimately what it was for. It's yeah. M Night's uh, second R-rated movie ever. It's only a second. Uh, the Happening was the only other one, and um, it's not particularly violent. Not really. Yeah. You know, I, uh, the Rupert Grint scene is probably his death scene is probably the most violent. I also thought that scene was tremendous. The yeah. way the way that he plays around with like eye lines there. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of close ups. He lets the actors kind of cook mm-hmm. in a in a really cool way. Um and yeah, I mean that that's what he does well. He does fucking tension in 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 those kinds of scenes yeah. very well. Um I think he's really well shot, okay? Yeah, I wasn't I and that that's why that's the, the best thing I could say about it is like I don't can't really say I was ever taken out of it. It's just a movie where as soon as you step out of the theater and reflect on it, you're like, "Eh, you know, you just kind of shrug it off unfortunately." But <laughs> But there is there is a lot like of talent. Joker, <laughs> kinda yeah. That's not a bad comp. Sure, I mean I think Joker's <laughs> better than this, but uh, I don't actually. But... Really? Wow. Mm. Interesting take. I don't know. I don't know where I land on that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think this is a bad movie, guys. I think it's I think it's okay, but uh, it, it just yeah left so much to be desired. <laughs> I, I I was expecting to come out of it with with far more things to reflect upon and. I just instantly started saying like, oh, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. You know? So what we didn't really mention at all is the fact that throughout this movie, we get these flashbacks to the the gay couple that are forced to make this decision. decision. We get flashbacks to random moments in their life when they first met or they started um, dating when they go to adopt when in South Korea, I think, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. We get these flashbacks to all these little scenes. Uh, did you like that? Because I found it a little distracting. Didn't like it at first. I thought it could have been much worse. Yes. I yeah, I thought they got better by the end. Yeah, I agree. I, I've seen a lot of movies like this employ flashbacks a little too much mm-hmm. and are not as sparing. And I thought this one was was sparing enough. It did feel like they were all necessary. There was the one flashback that I thought was a little on the nose, but again, it's M. Night, where... After the assault by Rupert Grint in the Boston bar, he begins like training like fucking Rocky at a boxing gym just in case is like that. That sort of like that superhero origin story in 30 seconds felt a little on the nose. Yeah, I agree. I will say, though, it made a lot of sense, at least because when they first broke into the house, I saw Andrew punching the shit out of him. And I was like, damn, this guy can fight. I was like, that seems misplaced. And in retrospect, it was like, oh, he did learn how to fight. And there's a reason why. And there's also a reason he has the gun in the car. And they justify his temper by feeling like he's been wronged by the world his entire life, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get what you mean. But it also, at least it it, it made sense of previous scenes 
this rage towards the world, they don't really go anywhere with it. Like no, they, like, well, could it's 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 introduced to give some justification, but they again, they 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 drop the dressing of the idea, but they don't really explore it. Is the problem? That's yes. the whole movie to me, right? That's yeah, that's the entire thing. It's like even if you want to give the movie its happy ending. Like, if you insist, M. Night, fine, but at least let these guys, you know, at least put them to a genuine decision. You know, at least let one of them say, yeah, let the world burn. You know, let them actually debate that. There isn't really a debate, you know, because I don't think M. Night is really interested in the debate. I think he's interested in order. He's interested in a very, dare I say, (laughs) puritanical sense of right and wrong in the world, you know? And it's like, uh, God said this and the Bible said this and we have to follow it rigidly. Sure. Um, and that's not, I don't know. It's not why I go to movies like this. It's not why I go to genre movies like this, you know? (sighs) And again, it depends. I think, I think it, here's, here's, here's where I might slightly disagree with you. I, cause I agree that it, it, it you need, I, I was looking for more to take away from the movie, but I just think the, at the end of the day, it's just not that engaging. You can make a movie that doesn't necessarily mean me, leave me thinking a thousand things or make me say like, oh wow, it's so great how they reflected on that aspect of the Bible and sacrifice and sort of like the, the, you know, what, how much love is worth to you in the end, like all those interesting themes, whatever. But if the movie's just really fucking like on and entertaining and like fuck like like i think like panic room for example Mm. which does have a little bit more to say but most of what you take away from that movie is like fuck yeah that was super entertaining and panic room kind of ends the way that you think it's gonna end right yeah perfectly but that movie's rock solid it's just it's just so much fun so i think if this movie just i don't maybe just comes down to the the, i mean but i don't know even panic room though has a second act twist no yeah sure but that you know what i mean like that well i think what it comes down to more than anything is that the story needs to be fundamentally reworked Mm -hmm. just to be more at the very least more fun because i mean half you shouldn't change the script as much as the book i mean half the movie are are people uh tied to to a chair and then four other people standing in front of them Mm -hmm. that's the overwhelming majority of the movie and Mm -hmm. it's just not that engaging yeah I, like I'm again. I'm not sure. Maybe these changes were also like it's. It's hard to communicate that kind of ambiguity on the screen as opposed to on the page. I mean, you're watching whatever's happening happen, and if you don't play around with point of view that much, if you don't play around with like unreliable narrators, it's it's hard to like. For example, when Batista does the monologue in front of the TV. You know, reciting all of the words that the announcer is about to say a second before she says them. I actually kind of liked that moment, though. It's a cool yeah. reveal, but I yeah. like it's the kind of thing. There's, there's no, there's no shoot a drop. Like it, it's it, any questions that you might have had coming into the movie are completely answered for you at that point yeah. in that moment. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, like, if you're reading it on the page, I, I, I plan on finishing the book because the book is actually really good. Um, but I wonder if I'm reading it on the page and. You know, lightning bolts are hitting the yard and planes are falling out of the sky. I I wonder if it reads as a little more ambiguous, you know? You know, if they did, like, more point of views from Eric and they had him seeing the visions or seeing things happening himself, and then they remind you, Eric's concussed. They didn't play around with the concussion at all. That was another fucking thing. Yeah. They, they, that's, they had that's an opportunity. clearly in there. The concussion is clearly in there because the book wants to play around with the unreliable narrator of it mm-hmm. all. That's right. That's clearly why it's there. Like he sees the vision in the window when the first sacrifice happens. And on the page, I'm sure that really reads as mysterious and cool and eerie. And in the movie, it's 
Just you're never really in his point of view. No. So that so there was opportunity. Right. You can mistake that moment when when it happens almost just for some random like I don't know if you call it an oversight or whatever. It just it's just a light shining through the uh through, through the the mirror. There's nothing. There's not, it's not that stylized. It just kind of happens and it's there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can you can mistake it for just a a random I guess mistake. Yes. Like a happy accident. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's the, yeah, I thought the exact same thing with the concussion. Uh, all right. Ending. Do you like it? Casey and the Sunshine Band. Good needle drop. Okay, I kind of liked at least the moment where so oh. one of the flashbacks they show uh, them driving to the cabin and they're all singing along to this song, Boogie Shoes. And um, so then they uh, go to leave the cabin. Uh, Andrew goes after killing Eric. Spoiler uh, <laughs> carries Wen, and their truck has been uh, their tires have been slashed. So they travel down the path to try to find the truck that the four horsemen arrived in. And they get in, the keys are sitting right there, as if the truck was meant to wait for them, which I think is really nice touch. Um, they get in, they start driving, and they turn on the radio, and it's playing Boogie Shoes. And then he turns it off. And that, that was a song that they, that was like their song. Yeah. And they're, yeah, so they, they, they have a pre-established history. This is like a song that, like, specifically Eric had put on his phone as a surprise for them to all sing and dance to on the way to the cabin. Right. So it just happens to be playing, which is freaky. He turns it off. And then I love when Wen just sits there and she kind of like twiddles her thumbs and then she goes and she turns it back on as almost like as a way to say her dad, like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then a second later she goes and she turns it back off as to be like, God, that was stupid of me. Why would I do that? Yeah, I love this part. And then the dad goes back and he turns it back on again. I like the moment. And it's like, it seems over done but it's just really actually it's really good it's schmaltzy but it's good it's very it works it's good that's that's the fucking uh schmaltzy bullshit that i want from Shyamalan. just give me that yes there's a good movie in here there's a really good movie in here (laughs) i agree i don't think it's a do you think it's a bad movie Uh, i'm not sure i'd go that it didn't work for me i i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's like objectively horrible no i don't think so it's it but it, it was just not for me so, you know, I think fundamentally we've discussed in the past that plot doesn't matter that much and that you can make a good movie with a bad plot. But this is an example of a movie that's bad because the plot is bad. Yes. And mm-hmm. the plot needs to be reworked. Yes. And that's it's unfortunate. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> you know it didn't mean? need to be reworked at all. I don't I don't Maybe like... it was worked fine the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know. That's yeah, sure. The plot from the book. Yeah. Listen, I support the guy. He's he's making original genre movies. They, those don't get fucking made anymore, no. and they make money at the box office. This one did okay this weekend. It's uh, struggling to beat 80 for Brady at the box office right now, but... Uh, really? People it, are actually going to see that? Oh, yeah. What the fuck? 80 for Brady is going to be like one of the quiet success stories of this year. Good God. Dude, yeah. the advertising fucking uh, monster, the... the militarized advertising machine for 
Quantumania right now. Oh my god, I can't... is fucking driving me insane. I've Dude. never seen. I don't think Marvel has ever put more money behind a movie for advertising because they know nobody wants to see it, but they know it's fundamental to the plot line of the greater bullshit. I have not seen a single frame of any of these trailers that interest me at all. It's the most aggressive marketing campaign it I've ever seen for a so Marvel film. Horrible. Yes. It looks so fucking bad, this movie. I, and I include, by the way, the shot of Bill Murray. Not even that interesting. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I will not be seeing this movie, and I still hate it. I, yes, I will not be seeing it either. My Cinemark movie. app is advertising that if I buy tickets to Quantumania, I can be entered in a sweepstake for free movies for a year. Dude. But you have to go to the Quantumverse. No, I just have to buy the ticket. Only available in the quantum. <laughs> I don't have to go. Nick, <laughs> they can't prove that I went. Nick, you have to make the choice, okay? Right. <laughs> you have to make the Life's choice. Life's about making hard choices. <laughs> you know, I have a free t- I have a free ticket sitting in my account that I don't know what to do with. Mm. I could just buy Quantumania and not go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's a there's a bear that's about to ingest a lot of cocaine pretty soon. Oh my god. He requires your attention, Nick. Now this looks like a movie. It does. They are advertising the shit out of that one too. That's been like, yeah, they are. I think they have a Super Bowl ad coming out. Really? Yeah, dude. Cocaine Bear. Now there's a movie title. Yeah. Imagine that. if the Bears were in the Super Bowl, <laughs> the and they bears. had Cocaine Bear. <laughs> the mascot snorting coke on the sideline. What is this semi-pro? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Titanic, but it's full of bears. Like. <laughs> What if what if their advertising campaign for the Super Bowl? What if they do like a sneaky ad and they just release a bear into the stadium? Would it be better than the the smile advertising? I love that. Would it be better than the smile promotions with the creepy people in the crowd? That was the best. You that, can't beat that. Can't beat it. <laughs> that's amazing. That's the best. <laughs> that was the shit. All right, uh, that's knock at the cabin. M Night, welcome back. Welcome back in. Make yourself at home. Welcome back in and please get out. And uh, I'm not going to burn the cabin down. Um, yeah, final rating for me is a five out of ten. Yeah, I'll give yeah. it a four. Yeah, I'll give it a f- six. Since when did we do this, by the way? Yeah, <laughs> I'll do it again. There you go. Two enthusiastic <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> I, give, I it. give it a one unenthusiastic <laughs> thumb up. I'm putting my my thumb at 45 degrees. It's kind of there. It's not. <laughs> oh, it's just it. Yeah, it's it, mediocre. It's whatever. Uh, it's like uh, the Tim Heidecker. You ever watch Tim Heidecker's uh, on cinema on Adult Swim? Used to be on Adult Swim. Now it's on. It's just on the internet. No, it, they they go uh, five bags of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Out of what? I don't know. It always changes. I love uh, donkeys. I'm giving it a 99 percent out of five. Right. <laughs> That's my favorite. All right. Uh, that's it. There's there, there's your M. Night. I think every time M. Night makes a movie now, we have to cover it on the show, right? You think so? Yeah, I, I probably so, need yeah. to just bite the bullet and watch Old and Split and Glass and just catch up. Yeah. You just check have in. a proper foundation. Check in on what's been going on lately. Yeah. <laughs> you have Split is the fucking best. Split rule. No, I just, I I just never split. got around to any of them. Uh, Maybe I'll just force myself. I think most people probably checked out when you checked out. Yeah. That's fair, though. You know? Yeah. I think most people got off the train around Last Airbender, and, uh, yeah. He's back, though. <laughs> There's another was Split. Like, think of the flashbacks in Split, mm-hmm. how fucking creepy they are. Oh, the abduction God. scene in Split is terrifying. It's the best. Yeah, yeah. that movie. It's like every <laughs> movie does everything that this movie doesn't quite nail. Just, like, t- it's time times ten. Nick, you ever seen Signs? Yeah. Mm-mm. Oh, wow. 
Never saw Signs. Yeah, I'm not very well versed on Shyamalan. Signs is the better version of this movie. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with that. Signs is so fucking underrated. That movie's so good. Well, it had a weird history because it went from being ridiculously popular to the internet being like, actually, guys, it's kind of stupid. And it's not my favorite Shyamalan movie, but yeah, I've rewatched it not that long ago. I'm like, this thing works. This thing is rock solid. This thing works. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's good. All right. Uh, That's it. We're out of here, right? Anything else? Uh, next week is Valentine's Day. We're going to we- do a rom-com. We already have it selected. We are doing the American Idol film <sighs> oh, from yeah. Justin to Kelly. <laughs> from Justin to Kelly. Starring Justin Guarini and Kelly Clarkson, the finalists on the original season of American Idol. They did a rom-com in the early 2000s called From Justin to Kelly. I, I had no idea who Justin Guarini was, by the way. Uh, right. Neither did... Uh, does anyone anymore that's not that's an uncontroversial take um you know who she was or he whatever whatever his fucking name was obviously so i'm sorry guys i'm just gonna go off on american idol next week so buckle up i never saw the first season of american idol (sighs) (laughs) nico you might want to promote this episode in our two cents channels because that might be more the audience for this one. <laughs> uh, we are going to do that next week. Cocaine Bears right around the corner. Documentary month pretty soon. On the Movie Hall of Fame, Adam and I uh, just covered. The episode should be out by the time this one comes out. Uh, Japanese horror films. Mm. Adam and I are doing a Valentine's Day couples swap. An evil swap. An really. evil, a cursed swap. Do you have yours? Picasso? I do. <gasps> Oh, I'm so excited. Adam, we do this every once in a while. Adam will select a theme that is so outside of my purview and uh, tortures me uh, with five movies that I would never have watched otherwise. And uh, I get to do the same to him. I think you're having a fine time, though. I'm having a good time. These okay. are good movies. See, told you. You might not have such a good time with the really? ones I assign Shit. You. Oh, I have a good oh, one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I got a good theme. I will reveal that on the show this week. Listen to the Movie Hall of Fame for that. Um... And that's it. Love you. See ya. Bye. Bye. Get out of here. What are you still doing here? The movie's over. Go on. Go home. (laughs) Scram.